On this episode of the Avershawn Podcast, Jordy from Barstool stops by to talk everything Philly, uh, from the sports teams to his misery with the Philly area sports teams, uh, college sports, pro sports, hockey, basketball, football, uh, you name it. We get into everything Philly, uh, talk a lot of lacrosse, uh, and also talk some meat cooking, which he's big at for Barstool. Uh, uh, before that, we get into some college hoops talk between me and Chris, well as a little bit of hockey talk on our own. So without making you wait any longer, let's get right to it. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Average Sean Podcast. Uh, Chris, how are you doing? Happy March. Happy yes, March Madness. Very happy not, March. Not March Sadness. No. That it, Especially, uh, you know, what happened last night at CQ? Yeah. I mean, we all know, you know, after such a great weekend of hoops, the, the craziest and most important thing to, you know, come out of the weekend, the, the thing that everybody's talking about, Towson basketball, first time CAA champs since 94. Co-champs, but hey, they got the tiebreaker, so they got the number one seed. But yeah, no, I mean, Towson is champs of the CAA. It was won in a very odd fashion. Uh, they were Pretty on dominant, S- though. Yeah, I mean, they were they were on a heater to end the season. I mean, they spanked JMU, JMU. Yeah. Which, while I do feel bad for every JMU athlete that they can't compete in conference tournaments, I also still hold a lot of hate for JMU. So. See you guys. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> oh, wait. What's that? The Sun Belt's calling their name. Yeah. I mean, if if you get beat by damn near 40 against a CAA team, not to denigrate the CAA, but, but you're going to have a rough time in the Fun Belt. Hmm. It, it ain't going to be very fun for you. So it was fun to watch. Uh, for those who don't know, Towson did have a game earlier in the season against Delaware that was suspended about two minutes into the second half uh, due to floor conditions. When the game was suspended, Towson was down nine. And what they win by? I don't remember the spread. Uh, I will look it up real quick. But what happened was, is that the conference and the NCAA decided to agree to pick up the game exactly where it where it stopped so all those times that people have been saying hey you know we should go back and replay this game from this exact moment well this, this was actually kind of a. that's what they did it, yeah it was like an encapsulation of what would happen if something like that were to occur uh now at the same time when they were originally playing on january 27th Delaware had, I think, a little bit more to play for. Um, a lot of people said that this time around they didn't have anything to play for because their seed in the tournament was locked in. However, I'm not going to agree with that because Delaware may have been locked into the four seed, but they essentially went into this game with the ability to choose who would be on their side of the bracket because had they beaten Towson, they would have gotten UNC Wilmington on their side of the bracket, but if they lost, they would have gotten Towson. So because they lost and got swept by Towson in the regular season, 
they now have Towson in their bracket. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for them? I genuinely don't know because, like I said, Towson has been on a heater to end the season, which is a really, really good thing. But at the same time, when these teams were originally matched up uh, in, in January, that they, they were up nine. Yeah. And, and they looked in control of the game. Now, with that being said, I know that they the teams were allowed to update the rosters, which obviously typically doesn't happen in the middle of the game, right? And Towson had a, a player that was suspended. I'm blanking on his name. Terry Nolan Jr. So he was suspended for the first half of the game. <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, you know, and, and last night in the second half, um, you know, came back. And I, I would have to imagine that that played a difference, you know. And also, CQ Arena looked to be pretty bumping, right? So they had... Um... For Towson standards. That's the thing, man. Like our standards are so low. Well, you, you gotta start you gotta turn the culture around somehow and no and, step and, in the right direction. It's better and, than when we were there. Oh, it, for sure. <laughs> but the reason why I'm like hesitant to say anything about it is I like I've connected with some people who are uh like CAA fans, stands, alumni, whatever, and one of the things that you know they always bring up as a commentary against us is our fan base and truthfully i have no argument against them because say unc wilmington they they show out a lot better than towson does now by comparison they're in wilmington north carolina versus right outside a major american city in baltimore so are there different factors that go into it yes but by the same token is University of Maryland also right outside of DC? And do they traditionally have a great fan base? Yes. Am I also comparing a mid a compa- ah. comparing a mid-major school to a power five conference school? Yes, I am, but still it's in states the best comparison I got. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Towson will ever have like a raging crowd consistently. And in, in, in that's in any sport, you know, even I guess lacrosse, probably their best shot. But even that, like. I mean, f- actually, football is the best shot to get people there. The struggle with football is to get them to stay past halftime. Yeah. Because, I mean, they, they show up and then once their buzz starts to wear off, that's when they tend to leave. <laughs> that is true. So. Um, I was also going to ask. So Towson obviously played last night. And their schedule the past, I'll say, two weeks has been pretty hectic. They've been playing a lot, which is good, especially since they've been rolling, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, momentum is massive. So now they get a few days off, and then they get to play the winner of the Northeastern game, right? Yeah, Northeastern and William & Mary. So do we have concerns about the break? Do we have concerns about them possibly drawing Northeastern, who they lost to? So I don't, um, because the Northeastern game was something that you could see coming. They came off a major win against Hofstra, who at the time was still fighting for good positioning within the conference, if not an outside shot to win the conference. Uh, They are the three seed. So that was a big win on the road against a team that had beaten the likes of Arkansas, who's ranked in the top 25. So that had big game written all over it. And with the next game at Northeastern being two days after, it, that had let down spot just plastered across the board. 
because I mean, like Northeastern was has been the kind of team that they have been well below expectations, but they've been capable of winning games. So the fact that they, you know, lost that one, I saw and I went, I'm more concerned about what they do in response to this mm. instead okay. of this game. I will also say, having watched Towson throughout the year, normally the CAA plays on Thursdays and Saturdays, which is a wonky schedule. But at the same time, there's plenty of teams who play on Saturdays and Mondays, which is also wonky. But the the break that they've had between Saturday and Thursday games, they have always come out looking crisp and on point. It's when they've had their best performances, as frankly it should be. You've got more days off. You've got more time to prepare. You've already seen William and Mary. You've already seen Northeastern twice. So while you're going to be studying film on both teams, you've already seen them. So it's not like it's, you know, the NCAA tournament where you win the first game, you've got maybe 24 hours to both mentally and physically prep for your next opponent. Truth. This time they're, they're familiar with them. So the one thing that I think benefits them, but as a fan, I think is the dumbest thing possible is the fact that the tournament starts on Saturday and they have the majority of their games being played on Sunday. The championship game is on a Tuesday. Hey man, turn up Tuesday, Towson Tuesday. There we go. We got some alliteration going on. Look, there's, there's no covering for it. This is a ghastly oversight by whoever at the CAA allowed this to happen. Like whoever it is, fire them right into the sun or just fire them to not actually kill them. You could say fire them into the sun belt. I hate you. (laughs) So, Hey man, I had to, I gotta have some fun with the sun. I hate you again, but no. So I'm just going to act like that. (laughs) That that never happened. Let's just moving on. Yeah. Just going to act like that didn't happen. Um, but No, I mean, it's frustrating because I had been making plans with some of my friends to go to the championship game if they made it, having the thought in my head the entire time that the championship would be on a Sunday because that's the most sensible thing. Have your biggest games on the weekend when you can get the biggest crowd and the biggest audience. Yeah. Also, who doesn't love daytime basketball on a Thursday or Friday? So the fact that you have one game on Saturday – the majority of your games on Sunday, semis on Monday, final on Tuesday. That just it feels weird. It that's not how it should go. It should be Thursday through Sunday. Right. So does any of that concern you? Like what 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 are your concerns for Towson? Not to be a Debbie Downer, but obviously we go into this tournament. They had a great regular season. Is there any worry about a letdown? Like uh, what what's going through your head? My concern for Towson is going to be in the sec or yeah, in the semifinals because their first game's in the quarters. And then my concern is if they end up playing, actually, not if they end up, whoever they get out of the Delaware Drexel game. Because I think, in terms of teams that they've struggled the most against, that they shouldn't have, quote unquote. Because when they lost to UNCW, I mean, UNCW is a good team. So there's no harm, no shame in the fact that you lost to them because you're literally sharing the conference crown with them. But Drexel has been off and on mediocre while at the same time really frisky. 
they Towson lost to Drexel up in Philly. So road game, not that much of a concern. And then they handled them pretty decently down here in Towson. But it's one of those things where I look at it and go, you beat us before. It was pretty convincing when you did it. I'm worried that that'll happen again. And then Delaware, the concern is the fact that you beat them twice. It is really difficult to beat the same team three times, particularly when that team looked in control when you guys were playing and you kind of got bailed out by the fact that the game got stopped. Hey, no. Ta- like, look, Towson may the have sticky pulled situation. off a... Sticky oh, situation. <laughs> like, the second half of that game, Towson may have come back originally. We'll never know. But from what, from what I saw, Delaware looked to be in control. And granted, they were playing each other back-to-back, so it's hard to beat a team three straight times. It's also hard to beat a team back-to-back. So had they lost it, it would have been understandable. And I actually almost would have been a little bit more comfortable if they had lost it because, like with Northeastern, okay, you already lost to them. Now you've got the, you know, we want to get back at you sort of thing. And you can take a look at that game film and say, hey, where did we go right when we beat them? And where did we go wrong when we lost to them? So the Northeastern thing, I'm not really concerned about. William and Mary, I think I'd be a little bit concerned about because despite their record, they do play really hard. Mm. So it's just something where even though I think Towson will win, I think that's going to have, you know, a little bit more just drainage to it because of, you know, the fact that, hey, you got to play this team who's going to play you real tough despite the fact yeah. that they just played yesterday. So I, I don't know. My concern is just the fact that like, I haven't seen the Towson program do it yet. And I'm so yep. used to my teams letting me down, i.e. the capitals for many, many years until they finally broke down or broke through. And who knows, maybe this is Towson's year, year to break through like the capitals did, but I've been disappointed so many times before. It's so hard to like mentally amp myself up to expect the best because I haven't seen it yet. And that's where my concern is. Now, is there any chance the CAA gets two teams in or no? Not a chance. There, It's a one-bid conference. There's a 0% chance that they get in. If Towson doesn't win the tournament, they're not in, they're not in the big dance. So now, okay, so... Sorry that we're sticking so on, on Towson so long here, I'm but not. you know this this is like you know we gotta show some love when they're doing well. Yeah. If uh if so say they get knocked out in the quarters, so their first tournament tournament game, is this season a bust? Honestly, no, uh, because the the one thing that did happen, and I didn't know that this was a rule, but because they won the regular season title, they're guaranteed a spot in the NIT, which is better than they have done in years. Oh, dang. I did not know that. I didn't know it either until I heard the announcer say it on Monday. So the fact that, you know, no matter what, we at least get to watch them in the NIT, I'm pretty happy with how it's going, yeah. like how things are going, especially with the fact that the team was like predicted to end the season eighth in the conference. Nobody yeah. went into this year with any expectations. And frankly, I wasn't even sure what to expect with them just because it's been a tough few years, not just for Towson, but for everybody. So really, I think just watching the season, watching how well they've performed, honestly, it's been a joy. I'm assuming that this is going to help with transfers. I'm assuming this is going to help with recruiting. And uh, I'm assuming that Pat Scary is going to be here for a while. 
I hope so. Uh, you know, I think with the job that he's done, I think that would he deserve a job at a bigger program? Yes. But do I want him to stay in Towson for a long time? Absolutely. Because even if he has the down years, he's shown the ability to do this. And a program like Towson right now just isn't in the place to be a consistently dominant program. So, you know, if he goes next year and he doesn't have the season that he had this year, I'll be bummed, of course, but will I be, you know, calling for his head? No, because I think that, as I said in a podcast previous, I was using this year as kind of like a prove-it year of, you know, do I buy into him or do I say, hey, you know, maybe it wasn't the fit and I'm bought in. Yeah. So there, there's no reason for me to turn around and all of a sudden, you know, turn my back on him if next year's bad because I've seen him do it. And there's a lot of chances for this team to collapse this season. So I hope he stays here. It's, yeah. the sa- it's the same thing with the lacrosse team where I know not everybody pays attention to lacrosse, but their head coach uh, is actually an alum of Johns Hopkins. So he could leave to go to Hopkins if the job became available. But I, if I was Towson, I'd do everything in my power to keep him because even if they aren't living up to like top tier CAA play, always getting into the NCAA tournament, they're good. Like they're just a really good, consistent program. And just knowing the sports culture that we talked about, what more could you ask for right now? Just knowing that your team is competent and they have a chance. That's, that's a lot more than a lot of teams have. And frankly, I I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, it is pretty crazy. So it's been, I hate to say this, you know, 11 years since we were freshmen technically this would have been our 10 year right because we started as freshmen in 2011 and you just think about how much the sports landscape has changed at Towson obviously Rob Ambrose has done a great job um you know they've had they've had some down-ish years the past few years but overall with the program he's done remarkable things I think they won like one game the year before we we went in as freshmen yeah, and I, you know what? I have vivid memories of the my first housing game, our first housing game. Um, obviously, it, it was against it was against Morgan State, and the, the Morgan State took the opening kickoff back, and everyone was just like, "Well, here we go again with another bad year." And uh, I think they ended up coming back to win that game, um, and that season was not fantastic it was the the handful of years after that you know that they started really ramping things up and had a few nfl prospects and you know made it to the 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 national championship game and whatnot but on top of that and now basketball doing well and basketball has been a much slower process but it's been a slow upward climb and you know you have to give credit where credit is due that's not easy to do considering how bad they were i mean as much as we say, or as much as I just said that the football team only had one win prior, the basketball team literally set an NCAA record under Scary for just how bad they were the year before. Was he there? To, yeah. So uh-huh. his his first year there, I'm going to be honest, I could have walked on the team. They were that bad, and I'm not going to. I actually consider trying out because. They had, a, they had a lot of players who were, like, transferring in who were ineligible because of the transfer rules at the time. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of walk-ons. So they were bad. So we were also in our old high school-sized gym. So the fact that we went from there to a more professional-looking arena was, while at the time, questionable because I wondered why we spent the money on it. Now I have an answer. 
Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, good good things in Tiger Town, that is for sure. Yeah. Now, we've spent forever on this, so let's get to what actually happened that, that a lot of people actually are going to talk about. Well, on Saturday. <laughs> National landscape. <laughs> yes, and it is what I would personally call the Black Saturday of college basketball. Eight of the top ten teams lost. And the only reason why it wasn't nine or at least didn't have the chance to be nine is because the ACC is terrible. So Duke won pretty handily. And the fact that Kansas and Baylor were both in the top 10 and playing each other. So one of them had to win. But other than that, Gonzaga goes down to St. Mary's Arizona throws up an absolute clunker against Colorado. Auburn is inconsistent at best. They struggle on the road. Kentucky, yeah. Kentucky drop one Purdue. Purdue is probably the most frustrating team to me this year. Uh, but no, it was it was a crazy, crazy Saturday. So from someone who doesn't watch a ton of college basketball, did this catch your eye? And if it didn't, after you know, we talked about it in the pre-show a little bit, what did end up catching your attention? Well, it did catch my eye in real time. I didn't to be completely transparent, I did not watch any. On Saturday, however, you know, opening up the the, the twatter pages and seeing, uh, oh, you know, at that point it was like five of the top ten teams had lost, and then it was six, and I was like, oh man, and then obviously the next, you know, later that night I see the final result, and then um, you know the AP top ten or top twenty five, but really the top ten came out, and it's like totally different than last week, even though Gonzaga's still at the top, but Baylor obviously jumping. A lot of teams, but I think what really caught my eye is Providence, top ten. Uh, it this team, I want to love Providence so much. You've been uh, pounding them all all year, right? I have, but the more that I watch them, the more I realize that while they are top ten, I am very comfortable in saying that they are a Sweet Sixteen at best team. Because they can't win a game handily. They are always getting by by the skin of their teeth. It doesn't matter if they're playing Villanova or DePaul. It's always a close game. That has its pros and cons. <laughs> I mean, the, the pro is that you know how to win a close game. The con is eventually your luck's going to run out. Truth. Truth. So, and don't get me wrong. I love them. I literally, they, they are in the... Are, are, they're on my screen right now. They're playing Villanova. They're down by four with a minute left in the game, so they're going to lose this. But at the same time, it's no shame to lose by four to Villanova on Villanova's home floor. So, right. you know, they, they're they going to be the top seed in the Big East tournament. Villanova's going to be the number two. But I still would see Villanova taking it just because despite the fact that Providence is the number one, until you prove that you can do it, it's the same thing as why I don't think they're an elite eight capable team. I just got to see it before I believe it. Right. And so let me ask you, um, with this many top 10 teams falling in one day, obviously quick, we're, we're quick pause. Uh, Providence actually just nailed a three with 32 seconds left. They're only down by one. So this speaking again of entertaining college basketball, we are here. Hey man, it ain't over till it's over. Now, this is very true. So as you're, <laughs> as you were saying, well, so do you think so many of the of the top 
teams falling specifically in one day, but you know, you can say one weekend, um, has anything to do with that, you know, they may or may not on their head have a you know NCAA berth clinched end of the regular season, you know, yeah, they've got their respective tournaments coming up um, and, you know, maybe taking the foot off the gas a little bit. I think that it's possible, but I think that there is something more important that would motivate them to keep winning is, well, one, they're college basketball students. They're competitive as hell. Truth. Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I agree with that. I, I would I would like to well, think that, that the integrity is there, but at the same time. Well, that's just a blanket statement. I mean, like the, the pride of these kids, like they don't want to lose because at the same time, they literally go to school with their peers. It's not like, you know, you're an NFL player, or an NBA player where you literally live in a gated community. It's not, you're living in a dorm. Yeah. So whether you win or lose, also depending on how rabid your fan base is. And if you're going to be this good of a program, your fan base is pretty rabid. Yeah. So. For that, like, do you really want to live with a bunch of people who are going to comment to you that you suck? No, you're going to want to win both for your own competitiveness and two, also just so you don't have to deal with that. But no, I think really none of these teams want to lose because they also understand the importance of seeding and regions in the NCAA tournament. So the higher you are, the more likely you are to get a favorable seed and a favorable region. So right now, Gonzaga and Arizona actually probably have the most to gain, but at the same time, the most to lose because they're both on the West Coast. So, and they both have a shot at a number one seed. So whoever gets that number one seed is likely to stay in the West if they're considered the higher number one seed. Right now, that would be Gonzaga because Gonzaga is still the number one team in the country. So if... Gonzaga loses in the WCC tournament and Arizona wins the Pac-12 tournament, then there's a chance that Arizona jumps them for that number one overall seed, stays in the West, and now Gonzaga is going to either like the Midwest or the South, which going from Spokane, Washington to, I don't know, Kansas City, that's a hike. And time change and all that. Yeah, same with Tucson. So... Neither team wants to leave their region. I mean, a lot of times, like, if Kentucky gets the number one seed, a lot of times in the past, they've been playing in, like, Nashville, which is basically their backyard. True. So this sort of stuff really matters, and the players and the coaches all understand this. So Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor right now, who's the number three team in the country. Baylor, you, you better believe Baylor wants that number one in the South because they don't want Kansas to take the number one in the South or, or Auburn. So they've got some competition there because they want a favorable bracket. They want to stay close to home. Duke has a shot at the number one seed, almost kind of by proxy. And of course. <laughs> yeah. Do I think that they'll deserve it? No, but will they probably get it. Yeah. So, so uh, does coach K go, you know, walking off into the sunset? <laughs> I mean, honestly, when most of your games are probably going to be played in Charlotte, yeah. Like, if your first weekend is played, like, two hours down the street, then it's nothing for you. So, I mean, they they might even give them some games in Raleigh just because Raleigh's also a big city, and Raleigh's literally right down the street. Yeah. So, that sort of stuff, I don't think there's any chance that any of these teams win to these games and lost. I think what honestly happened, if we're, if we're going to go down the list, Gonzaga played St. Mary's, 
St. Mary's is a very high quality team. They're also a top 25 team. They have deserved it. A lot of people may question it because they're also in the West Coast Conference, but they are a really good team. And they were also playing at home. So Gonzaga dropping one in conference to a high quality team when this is the best version of the West Coast Conference that we have seen in decades. You know, we, they, like they're potentially a four bid league when at most they were maybe scraping by for um, for three. Like you got Gonzaga for sure. St. Mary's for a while was a lock. And then you maybe get a BYU. And then if St. Mary's wasn't the other lock, then BYU was a lock and maybe St. Mary's. But now you add like a San Francisco that could get in there. This is the best version of the conference we've ever seen. So losing to them, to me, honestly, there's no shame in that. And actually, it's probably a good thing for them because it resets their minds going into the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, I would agree. So now why'd they stay number one? That's actually a really good question. I, I really don't. I, well, so here's the thing. Like, with so many teams losing, somebody's got to be number one. And I don't think that you could jump Duke from seven all the way up to number one when their win was over a very poor Syracuse team. So, like, or not poor, but, like, mediocre. Because they're 500 on the season. So, they're the literal definition of mediocre. So-so, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I just don't like, I think the reason why Gonzaga stayed at number one is because I think their loss was more understandable than Duke's win was impactful. Mm. Now at the same time, like Arizona stays number two, Arizona was also on the second leg of what is kind of becoming an infamous Utah, Colorado trip in the Mm -hmm. Pac-12 because both of those games are played at altitude. And uh, honestly, it's just tough to play those teams back to back. It's, it seems like an anomaly at first, but it's almost kind of proven to be a consistent thing. When teams do that, they drop at least one game. So them losing again also seems more understandable than Duke's win seems impactful. Now Baylor jumping to number three, Baylor definitely has the best argument to be the number one team because they beat a top 10 team. So I think the only reason why they didn't, go to number one is the game was in Waco, but had the game been in Lawrence, I think that they would have jumped to number one. So I think the fact that they got a little bit of home cooking and the fact that Gonzaga and Arizona both lost on the road, I think that was what kind of tipped the scales to keep those two teams there. Mm, Right. So of the top 25 right now, which team do you think is being overlooked considering that we're going down to the home stretch? I know that's a really loaded question, but I will generally want to say Arizona because I have watched Arizona play and I think they were really fun watch. So some of that's just like the bias of the enjoyment that I have watching that team. But I think really I'm between either Kansas or Auburn because Kansas, they're almost overlooked because they, they get to the tournament and they tend to disappoint. And for them, a disappointment is an elite eight as opposed to a final four or a national title game. So their disappointment is a bunch of other teams like joy and pride, but it's Kansas, the birthplace of basketball. So that's true. Um, but I think the fact that they lost to Baylor again, there's no shame in that Baylor's a high quality team. They had some injuries. Sure. But I think the fact that they lost to them at Baylor is totally explainable. 
And they've played a tough schedule. The Big 12 from top to bottom is ridiculous because Texas Tech, who was in the top 10, just lost to TCU. And TCU is towards the bottom of the league. So the fact that, you know, that sort of game is a tight game and Texas Tech ends up losing it speaks to the fact that from top to bottom, there's quality teams all over the conference. Mm. So they've been through a gauntlet of a schedule. And then Auburn, for me, while they have struggled on the road, I think there is a little bit of overemphasizing that because the part that people don't really think about at least when they think about, you know, hey, this team struggles on the road, that's a concern for these games, is, is none of these games are true road games. They're all played at neutral sites. Right, right. And if Auburn still lands a favorable seed, then chances are they play somewhere where a lot of their fans can go. And Auburn fans have showed out pretty well for their home games. So you got to imagine that they'll probably travel pretty well, and it's going to be easier for them to get tickets to a neutral site as opposed to an opponent's actual home gym. True. So, to that, like that would be it for me. Um, maybe Kentucky because they've had some injuries, and so if they get healthy, I could see it. But I don't know. All right. I mean, yeah, it's a little question, but obviously we're just getting in the crunch time here, and uh, you know, just taking a peek at it. I'm like, yeah, you know, gotta start 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 doing some intel before making my bracket. Uh, so I will say that. Picking who's going to win the national championship this or national champion this year is tougher than I think it's ever been since you and I became considered adults. So like the last 10, maybe 12, 13 years, this is probably the most difficult season that you would have to pick a you know clear cut. They're the favorite to win the title. What I will say for me is almost a guarantee, and this is going to come completely out of left field, but I am waiting for the eventual collapse that is, that is going to be the Tennessee Volunteers, because they are currently ranked at 13, but Rick Barnes can't win shit. Rick so, Barnes. So, sure, he, he might have been winning a lot of regular season games, but Rick Barnes was born to break your heart. So they're going to get to the tournament. You're going to think, oh, man, this, this Tennessee team is frisky. Nope, they could be out as early as the first game. They're like, they, they could be one of those like infamous like 4-13s, which is a little bit less common. Or yeah. like if for some reason, let's say they you know have a poor outing in the first round of the SEC tournament, somehow they drop to a 5 seed. But if they're matched up in a 5-12 game, oh, you better believe they are <laughs> going to be the favorite to get knocked off by a 12 seed. Because Rick Barnes has proven time and time again that he can't win when it matters most. People forget he had Kevin Durant. And and if you want to tell me you can't win a national championship with a superstar for one season, then please go visit the Carmelo Anthony Syracuse Orange because he was there for one year and they won. Truth. So you have Kevin Durant who far and away is a better player than Carmelo Anthony because Carmelo was never considered top two in the NBA. But Kevin Durant is. So Rick, I just can't trust Rick Barnes ever. I will never bet for them. I will never bet against them because he is the most inconsistent, 
an infuriating coach that I've ever seen. So where we uh, where where do we see UMD slotting? Uh, the not invited tournament. But they beat Ohio State. Yeah, that's that's real great, Chris. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure what you want me to do with that. <laughs> well, so well, I'm sure we'll have discussions later on once you know off season hits about what they're going to do about coaching. Yeah, I honestly, I now I don't know what direction that they're going to go in, and I'm kind of curious to see what comes out of this. I, I don't think anyone knows, and I think that that's probably right now the best thing for Maryland, because that means anything is still an option. Truth, I mean, it's obviously it's a big time job. Yeah, no, it, it is, and frankly, it should be one of the top programs in the country. The only thing that's really kind of holding them back right now is they need to repair their relationship with DeMatha, but that's going to be really hard to do with Nike sponsoring DeMatha and Under Armour sponsoring Maryland. It shouldn't seem like it's a big deal, but especially in the basketball world, that's a huge deal. Right. Yeah. So whoever comes in, like their first job needs to be to go to DeMatha and just do nothing but rebuild that relationship. Like literally just like not leave the campus or like the front yard of their coach and athletic director until you are best friends with them. Even if it's through Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> hey, no. no yeah. I, I, I'm not kidding because like DeMatha is that important of a program to the DMV. Because even if you're not getting every DeMatha player, the effects of your relationship trickle down around the beltway. So you've got DeMatha and Oak Hill who immediately jump out as huge time basketball programs. They're both in the DMV area. Then you want to go to Baltimore and talk to like a Mount St. Joe or even for you, like a, a Curly who has put up some good players. Uh, even Spalding actually put out Rudy Gay. Yeah. So the whole Maryland area. Calvert Hall. Yeah, Calvert Hall. Like they have a ton of talent, but that talent will also – tend to follow the lead of the traditional powers. So whatever DeMatha does, that's going to have huge ripples across the area. And if DeMatha is on board with Maryland, then that's huge. But if DeMatha isn't on board, that's going to be a big hurdle for whoever the head coach is. See, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned Curly in that, that talk, because I mean, uh, I don't think of Curly as being a basketball school. I, well, but I, I was with really that being... thinking of like upper end private schools that, you know, usually can recruit some good talent. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, not to say I haven't kept up with my alma mater, but I, uh, the, uh, yeah, I don't know. Their basketball program has definitely improved a lot since when I was there, but um, I, I'm not sure if, if they have guys going D1 and whatnot. I wouldn't be surprised if they do, but I definitely know Calvert Hall and Spalding are both big and obviously Mount St. Joe's. Um, Definitely. Um, and even Delaney, um, actually, I could be wrong. I know Delaney had two or three guys go to Seton Hall this past year. Um, yeah, and, you know, you do get the guys who do go to public schools, who do get to go to, uh, you know, big-time programs. It's just more common that they can get recruited to a private school because they get scholarships in that case. Yeah, no, totally. Which, completely random thought, but – if you're wanting to think about the Baltimore hoop scene, if you want to see like one of the best things to entertain yourself for a solid, like probably 15, 20 minutes, 
Just look up on YouTube, Akil Carr, with two R's in his last name. The guy's name is literally, like nickname, is literally the crime stopper. Because he was so good and so electric to watch that the Baltimore City Police Department actually did a study. And whenever Akil's teams were playing, the crime rate in Baltimore actually dropped because so many people wanted to go see his games. Who does he play for? Uh, he doesn't really play for anyone right now. I think he, he was like only an international player. But just oh, in terms wow. of like local hoops legends, like he he was and probably to this day is still talked about as an absolute legend. He, plus, the Crime Stopper is a fantastic nickname. Oh, man, that's that's crazy. That that's oh. that's literally got to be like one of the best nicknames I've heard in my entire life because it also has the air of truth to it. So it's not like you're just called the Crime Stopper and somebody just called you some ridiculousness because like I don't know, you're a really good defender. No, it's literally proven that you caused the crime rate in a city, which is unfortunately known on a national level for crime to drop and all you're doing is playing hoops at the high school level yeah Which, I know, but, but again though that goes back to the whoever the maryland coach is needs to build these relationships because you've got this depth of talent in this area so like you need to put a huge emphasis on building up the dmv area because i have no doubt in my mind that you could win a national title on DMV talent alone. Yeah, so I'm looking him up. So he played, so... I think he, like, transferred to, like, three or four different schools. So, yeah, he played at Patterson High School, so public city school. And then he went to Seton Hall. Um, And it looks like he played with the American Basketball Association. Um, He, wow. Um, let's see. He played in the D League. Um, why? Wait, hold on. He, he played for the Baltimore Hawks. Interesting. Crazy. He doesn't. He's small. He's only six five. That that's part of the reason why people loved watching him was because he was almost like the he was almost like the recreation or reincarnation, despite the fact that he's still alive, of Muggsy Bogues because. Muggsy Bogues, while known on a national level for his ability in the NBA, he was a huge, huge star when he was playing at Dunbar. So, and granted, Dunbar at the at the time, whoever was playing for them, they were all huge stars. But because yep. of his size, he was viewed kind of like a, a new age. Right. Sorry, um, I kind of muted myself there. Uh, so uh, I thought that he would be like way younger than us. He's our age, Sean. Yeah, no. I found out about him because uh, my older brother pointed him out to me. Interesting. I've never heard of this guy, and I went to school in the city. Yeah. No, I, I again, I wouldn't have known about him if my brother hadn't told me to look up his YouTube highlights. Wow, he's also played in professional leagues in Canada and Cyprus, so pretty cool. Yeah. So, I, just a, again, a random thought, but if you want to give yourself a nice little fifteen minutes of pure joy and distraction go look them up we all need some distraction in our lives sean yep and speaking of some people who need distractions uh we'll leave this as a footnote for the podcast because we haven't really touched on hockey which we normally do uh we're also kind of coming up on time for you know the time we gave ourselves to record 
Well, well, isn't there also the possibility that you may have a secret someone coming on? Eh, possibly. Well, we'll, we'll possibly, maybe a little birdie. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see if that happens, and then by the time that I put this all out, it'll kind of seem nonsensical because this is all going to be on the podcast. So. If he makes it on, you'll hear him after this. If he doesn't make it on, then you you won't hear it, and this will be a whole lot of nothing. It won't be a whole lot of nothing. Well, yeah, but it'll come sooner rather than later. So, as I was saying, footnote for the podcast, we haven't mentioned hockey. Chris and I are both aware of what's going on in the world, but we're also not aware of it enough and educated enough to talk on it. And truth be told, if we were to talk on it, it, we do we do run the risk of doing the subject a disservice by not being fully knowledgeable in it. So instead of touching on it, instead of giving our half-baked opinions, half thoughts on it, we're just going to let it be, you know, it's, it's something that is clearly important that's going on in the world, but it's not something that either of us are really knowledgeable in to really give educated thought out responses on. So if you've made it this far, as always, again, thank you for listening to the podcast because I don't know who makes it this far. But if you made it this far, don't come to us expecting any commentary on this. I don't really like getting into politics. It's not something that I really enjoy. So I don't really read into it much, which is why I don't have an educated take on this. So I can tell you what I do have an educated take on. Yeah. The Capitals have not been playing well. No, we'll leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, Yeah. Speaking of teams that I expect to get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. (sighs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I forget. uh, I'm blanking on who. Uh, Pittsburgh, actually, I think last night. No, sorry. Sunday night ended up beating Columbus, which kept Columbus 10 points back. Right now, Columbus is up three to one on the Devils, Um, which fun fact, not, not to totally kind of hop hockey gears all around here so the, the obviously today we're recording march 1st the devils of all teams scored the most goals in all of february now keep in mind they're still way out of a playoff race but they also have the second lowest safe percentage in the entire league and they've been playing without dougie hamilton i'm not here that fourth or fifth goalie sixth Jeez. Now, with that being said, even their top guy, Mackenzie Blackwood, you know, he wasn't vaxxed at the beginning of the year, and that was a, a, a delay. He missed a few games, and he just hasn't been the same. He's, he's dealt with a heel injury, but, like, you know, the Devils have a very young team, and I'm not trying to play a huge homer right now. That's the game I got on, but I and I can't even say it feels weird saying homer with that because, you know, I'm a Jersey transplant. Um, but <laughs> – uh, you know, my, my heart through and through remains with the caps up, you know, highs or lows. Um, but just like to point out the devils out of nowhere, if you had told me that, I guarantee you not many people would have bet that the devils scored the most goals in the entire league, yet they're still out of a playoff race. And they, I don't even think they had a winning record. So goaltending is important. <laughs> Speaking of goaltending and poor goaltending, well, they may have scored the most goals in the month. They definitely didn't score the most goals in the game between them and their opponent because that Toronto and Detroit game that was 10 to 7. Oh man, bad night for the defense and for the goalies. But if you're a fan of points in action, that was fun. Yeah. So, I mean, similar sentiments to what I've said about Edmonton. I don't think it's as drastic 
obviously, I think Toronto does have a better all-around team than Edmonton. Toronto, and even last night's game against the Caps, the Toronto was up 3-1. to one. Caps fought their way back by physically manhandling them. Uh, Caps had a very poor first period by Samsonov. Vitek gives up one goal in relief on his first night in a back-to-back after coming back from Hershey and missing time off because of injury and yada yada. And he ends up getting the loss just by giving up the one goal. But uh, these Canadian teams as a whole, man, I'm telling you, they like the Leafs can put up goals. That's not an issue. They've got the flash. They do not have the grit in the grind that requires to play against a physical team. And you imagine doing that in seven games. Detroit is a rough team, kind of like um, who were you mentioning earlier? Uh, um, uh, William and Mary. Yeah, basketball. It's a similar similar team. It's you know they might not have the best win loss record, but they are a gritty team to play against. And, um, you know, with, with a little bit of sizzle up top. I, I haven't done this a lot just because it, because they're so volatile in terms of how much they can or can't score some nights. They've probably been one of the most entertaining puck line teams to bet all season. Who, Toronto? But Detroit. Oh, yeah, I would imagine. What, like whether it's like good for you or bad for you, I got to imagine that like every game's a sweat. Look, Stevie Y was in Tampa and turned them around and got them to the the honestly the the force that they are now. And he chose to leave, handed the reins over to Breezewaugh down there, and obviously he went back to Detroit where he played and you know obviously has roots there. You know, um, spanning back a few decades, he's doing the same thing up there. You want to talk about a GM that does not get talked about enough? And I'm, I'm pretty sure he's an, a, a GM. He might be in some other fa- – I'm 99% sure he's a GM up there. I'm having a bit of a brain fart. But some sometimes they they spin the GM position into a different name. But, um, yeah, man, Detroit's good. Detroit has pieces. They got Nadelkovich from Carolina last year for, for, like, a bargain. They got him on a good contract. They've got Mo Sider, who's probably winning Rookie of the Year. They've still got Larkin up front, Bertuzzi. It's going to be it. – they've got Raymond, who's a young stud sniper. Like, they've got some pieces, man. I Detroit's a team to look out for. I would say them – if I'm making predictions on next year on teams that make huge strides, Detroit and Ottawa. So, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're seeing me kind of uh, smile and chuckle to myself while we're doing this. And the reason why isn't because of anything Chris is saying – but it's how much he's saying, because in our pre-show meeting, we really didn't like come up with a ton of hockey headlines to really talk about. Well, I'm talking about next year. I'm talking about future stuff. But if you'll let me finish, as is, you know, the case with Chris, wherever we go, he is our resident hockey encyclopedia. You get him going and it's just always impressive how much stuff you're able to pull out with it because we weren't able to come up with much pre-show, but we get you into the moment and start talking about it, and you're just you're just firing away, man. I kind I love it in all honesty. So tis, tis the season. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I'm glad that we had some other stuff to talk about because I was just going to end on that footnote, but thankfully we had some fun topics. So we'll wrap it up here. Uh, again, if our guest is able to make it on, it's not fully wrapped up here. But if he's not able to make it on, you'll know one way or the other based on the title. 
He'll uh, make it eventually, though. He will. So hopefully, fingers crossed. He's uh, he's on now. So if he makes it on, hey, go enjoy that interview. If he's not on, hey, enjoy the interview when it comes. Uh, but as always, guys, thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you can comment, like, subscribe, give it a five star rating. Uh, say that I suck. I don't know. I don't care. No. Have, have some fun with it. Just like any any feedback at all will, will always be fun for me. Come up with a joke. Tell me something corny because Chris clearly has got dad jokes loaded in this. One, I was going to so. say, I, th- I think I already did that today. <laughs> well, you know what? If you're going to do it, we might as well give the option to the people who listen to us to do it as well. So, uh, guys, if the interview's there, enjoy it. If not, until next time. All right, we now welcome on a special guest to the Abishon podcast. It is Jordy from Barstool. Uh, Jordy, we were talking a little bit before the show, but I kind of really didn't ask you this. How are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Uh, it's nice, nice day out in Philly. Took the dog out for a little walk. Uh, so, you know, can't, can't complain at all. Solid day all around. Okay. So you're known for being at Barstool, but I think that, you know, you being somebody who's in Philly, who talks like a lot of lacrosse, a lot of like hockey, meat cooking, you're not necessarily in the limelight for everybody because it's not like, you know, you're a big cat or a Dave who's always in front of a camera. So the first question that I have is, you know, how did you get your foot in the door and like how like what was it like kind of getting started at Barstool? Uh, I mean, I, I looked out because I got into Barstool pretty early. Um, so this was still, you know, Dave was in Boston with all those Milton guys. Big cat was in Chicago, KFC in New York. Uh, Smitty was here in Philly, but there was another, there was another Philly blogger. Uh, so, you know, Smitty was the, the number two in Philly and then the head guy, um, you know, if anyone out there is a, an OG barstool reader, uh, mm-hmm. tall, tall Maurice. Uh, so Mo was like the head Philly guy, but he had gotten a, a job at, um, maybe it was complex or, and another magazine, but either way, he got a, he got a job. So he was leaving. Um, so they needed someone to come in and, and fill in the role for the number two guy for Smitty. Um, so this was 2014. Um, so I was, I was just graduating college and, you know, I have, I was just like bullshitting around on my own with a blog that I would write for like me and my friends to laugh about while we were, you know, waiting between classes. Uh, but just kept bombarding Smitty with my, uh, you know, with, with links to my stuff for a few months, eventually he was like, all right, dude, like, please stop emailing me this shit. Like I'll let you write a little bit. If it's good, it's good. If it's not like, you just won't have a sign in anymore. Um, so like I got my foot in the door through Smitty. Um, Smitty has a great coaching tree. So, you know, he, he brought in, he brought in Roan, uh, pretty sure he brought in Fran. Um, so I, I know that Smitty gets, gets shit on a lot of times by, by Portnoy, but uh, the, the man has brought some, some solid talent to, to Barstool. So that kind of was going to be my next question, because it seems like Philly is starting to run deep in Barstool and Philly and, and the Boston area kind of have like a natural rivalry. So I, I don't know if the fact that, you know, if it's Eagles fans talking shit to Patriots fans for winning the Super Bowl or something else, if that like naturally creates like good content because of the rivalry. But what what about like Philly makes it so like talent rich for you guys to kind of dip into and find some good people. 
Uh, I mean, like I'd, I'd imagine that everywhere probably feels like they have, you know, crazy diehard sports fans. Um, but I, I would venture to guess that Philly is like top tier in the amount of like people who literally like their entire existence is built around these four teams. And for so long, you know, pretty much everyone who's of age to be, you know, reading Barstool, like that demographic we've all just got our hearts like, yeah, we have the super bowl. We had the Phillies winning the world series, but it's been like so much pain and despair as Philly fans that I think is really just turned us into uh, just psychotic sports fans. And I think that that's, that's what Barstool is all about. So I think it's it like, yeah, it, it would be so nice to be able to wake up every morning and be able to blog about, you know, like a, a Patriots dynasty or, um, you know, the Bruins going to the, the cup all the time, but um, that's just not the way that we have it in Philly. And I think that, um, you know, for us, it's, we, we live and die by those teams. And then I think for the readers, they also live and die by our misery. Like they kind of get off on that shit. So uh, it kind of works for us and it works for them as well. So you mentioned that, you know, you've got the four major sports in town, you've got hockey, basketball, football, baseball. And everybody who isn't living under a rock knows what was going on with the Ben Simmons drama. So knowing, you know, that you're also a hockey guy, lacrosse guy, where in your hierarchy of Philly sports does the Ben Simmons stuff kind of fall for you in terms of like, how much does this affect like, you know, your emotions, like your, your levels of annoyance or like how you just kind of feel about the situation? Uh, I mean, like there, during the, the heat of that, like I was, I was more or less dead inside because like, so the way the Philly works is, you know, you're, you're born and like, you're immediately thrown into like an Eagle shirt. Like everyone's like an Eagles, <laughs> like it usually goes like Eagles one for the longest time. I'd say Philly's two, but not anymore. It probably goes Eagles one, Sixers two, and then Phillies flyers three, four. But I've yeah. always been a, I've, I've always been a flyers first guy. Like I grew up playing hot. Like it was, it was the first sport that I played. Um, and, you know, typically you know, if, if the Flyers weren't just a, an absolute disaster of an organization where I hate every single person associated <laughs> with them from top to bottom, especially gritty, um, then the Ben Simmons things wouldn't really like play that much of a role in my life. I'd be like, all right, like whatever, like this guy sucks, but at least we've got Flyers hockey to watch. I haven't watched a single Flyers game in like weeks because I, I just... Uh, I'm, I'm now apathetic to them because until they sell the team that they're, they're dead to me. Um, so in that regard, yeah, like the Ben Simmons stuff was, was way more important to me than it usually would have had the flyers not been an absolute joke. Um, but now all the way on that, on that Jimmy Harden train. So like now, <laughs> now like I actually like have some like life restored to me, which feels great. feels great to be able to turn on the TV and not like instantly want to like punch myself in the nuts every time for watching these <laughs> teams. So um, yeah. So I got to admit because being an outsider, granted, I'm not that much further South than you, but being an outsider to me, it feels like Gritty's kind of become like the mascot version of a cult classic movie. So, so what's got you hating Gritty? I would, I would love to rip that scumbag's head off and then throw it on a train track and just watch Septa run it over and over and over again. Um, Gritty is the class, like Gritty doesn't care about the team, right? Like yeah. I, I, I am 
the only thing that I want in my life, like, yeah, like I would love, like got married. That was pretty cool. Would love to have, you know, kids like that'd be great. But like the happiest moment of my life will be if I get to see the Philadelphia Flyers win a Stanley cup. That's how much this team means to me. This team is an absolute disaster. They are a joke of all jokes. And meanwhile, Gritty could not care less. He's still out there doing his thing. He's making the games all about himself. Like you'll have even a tight game in the third period. And like you would want the fans to be like pretty invested in the game. Gritty's running around like hitting fans with silly string and and doing all these games. So Gritty is a selfish bastard. He only cares about himself. He's not a team guy. And for that, he is the the opposite of everything that you would want in a Philly sports fan. So hate- how, how does Gritty stack up in comparison to the, the Philly fanatic? Because he's also a, a well-known mascot. Yeah, but the Philly fanatic has earned that over time. Um, you know, he, he's been the best mascot for decades since since before i was born uh meanwhile gritty comes out and the timing of gritty also very very uh conspicuous i think is is the word that i'm looking for um as an english major but i don't have the greatest vocabulary um (laughs) but the the timing of gritty came around like he he came into our lives right at a turning point of the flyer where they 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 had to hit their championship window or else we were in for a few and by a few, I mean like five to 10 ugly years coming up. And it seems as if Comcast timed that up perfectly where they gave us this orange piece of shit that would distract us from the fact that this, this organization is going nowhere and that they don't care if the organization is going nowhere just as long as they're making money. So I think that Gritty uh, has been just a, a big time, uh, just a bait and switch, just trying to distract the fans from the fact that the product on the ice is a joke, but they still want to make money. So if they can jam Gritty down our throats, then that's what they'll do. Comcast doing everything that they can to piss off their customer base while still raking in a ton of dough. That doesn't sound like them at all. Oh, I'm a Verizon guy, baby. Oh, absolutely. I So Comcast has like a, an agreement with like every single uh, apartment complex around the, the Baltimore area where they are the only cable provider that you're allowed to have. You can, you can get satellite, but if you want internet, it's Comcast. That's the only people that they allow to work on their grounds. And I kid you not, there was one time at an apartment I had, like not even five minutes north of city limits. So I'm out in Baltimore County. It took seven attempts for a Comcast person to come out and figure out what the problem was and get my internet fixed. And I sat, I, I called them. I'm like, look, guys, this is ridiculous. It, it's seven times. I need some form of compensation. They're like, how does 20 bucks sound? And I was like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, like I, I could, I, I don't know if anyone uh, who works for Verizon is listening to this right now, but if you are, like, feel free, like, you could charge me three times what you would regularly charge someone, and I'll still go Verizon over Comcast because that's how much I hate that. Uh, I would rather go through a bloodletting than have Comcast again. I mean, it was, it, they're terrible. It, Har- horrible people. Horrible people. So, in terms of Philly, because, you know, when, you, when you're raised in a major city, like Philly, I think it's easier to get attra- uh, attached to the pro teams where I grew up in suburbia, kind of between DC and Baltimore. Uh, but also in terms of Maryland, unless you're a Ravens fan, a lot of our pro teams kind of suck. So it was a lot easier, especially given my age to get attached to something like college basketball at Maryland. So they like, they are far and away my favorite team since childhood, but like, where does college stuff rank for you in terms of like 
where it was that you grew up and like kind of the emphasis that the area puts on it versus like college versus pros? Uh, like college basketball in Philly is pretty big. I I'd say like, like you have like your, your, the, the big five teams, like you've got uh temple, you've got St. Joe's, you've got LaSalle. It's, it's sometimes it gets a little dicey if you want to consider Villanova to be Philly or not, but if they're winning national championships, I'm obviously going to consider them to be Philly. Um, personally, I'm, I'm more of just a, a March Madness kind of guy. Like I just not like a, a huge college basketball regular season type of guy um just yeah i i think it's it's tough to be you're not gonna find many like diehard hockey fans that cross over with diehard basketball fans or at the very right. least like you know like it just it's the same season like you only have so much time like so you know i'll be ending up watching more nhl games and it's like i i only have so much uh so much, so many screens that I can throw on. So, uh, big March Madness guy though. I love to lose a lot of money um, in those last <laughs> in those last few weeks of March because I haven't watched anything and I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, I think that's you know it's a lot of us. So I guess we'll take that over to lacrosse because now I'm curious. You know, college lacrosse is right now the most popular version of lacrosse, but I think comparatively speaking, compared to what the MLL was. Uh, compared to the abnormality for Americans that is the NLL, the PLL is probably right now, I'd say the best product for lacrosse that's out there. And it's just gaining popularity in my mind because it's, it's young. So it's got some ground to gain on college. Where are you in terms of like, you know, let's say PLL reaches the mainstream. Are you still going to be kind of like heavy college or are you going to be more interested in the pros? I mean, what makes the pros great, like what makes the PLL great is uh, just like the broadcasting deal. So like, uh, so I, I don't know. It's coming up this year, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel like it may have already switched. They may have already made the jump to ESPN. Um, I know NLL is on ESPN. Yeah, well, so which has been great this year. I've, I've watched more NLL games this year than I have in my life just because it's on ESPN Plus and, you know, I was scrolling around on a, you know, Saturday afternoon and you just kind of see it there. You're able to throw it on. Wasn't able to do that before. Um, you know, college across, like I love, love like a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, ESPN, you throwing on a game. Like it's like, that's, that's my favorite version of lacrosse. The only thing is that like, there are just so many games where, like, if you want to watch it, you have to find a stream. And, you know, if, if especially like the Big Ten streaming is God, like the Big Ten has so many great lacrosse teams. Um, Speaking and, of being like, a Maryland fan, their camera is the worst. It's it's terrible. The camera is the There's the, no reason they should be playing in that stadium. No, because you can't you can't see a thing. Um, so meanwhile, you're paying like whatever it is, like $10 a month for this terrible stream. And you're like, is it really worth it? No, like I'll just like check out the highlights if they come out on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so like that's like the one thing that's holding college across back, I guess, is it's just like you can only see so many games like you can only easily access like a few, um, you know, per week, which is still fine. But like that's why I think the PLLs position themselves to do you know, what, what hasn't been able to be done in lacrosse so far and reach that mainstream audience. Cause you know, especially now with like, who knows what's going to happen with the MLB. I'm sure that they're going to have like some season, but it sure seems like a lot of people are like, all right, like 
don't even play this year. Like who can like, we don't really care. Um, so, you know, if they still stay locked out, then the PLL is the only show in town, I guess, for the summer. Um, and they'll be, you know, all, all the games nationally televised or streamed pretty easily. I think everyone at this point probably has an ESPN plus subscription, or if not, like they're stealing it from their ex-girlfriend, like whatever. Um, so <laughs> sounds like, like me with my Sam's club membership. Yeah, exactly. Just relationships die, but <laughs> memberships stay forever. Um, but like, that's, that's, I, I think key is just getting eyeballs on it um no one that doesn't watch lacrosse is going to go to big 10 shitty website and pay ten dollars for their shitty streams like you're not going to get viewers that way but if it's nationally broadcasted or easily streamed um then yeah i mean people are going to be bored in the summer they're going to be like there's nothing else going on there's this lacrosse game i haven't watched a a second of lacrosse in my life but let's just check it out you got a great on-field product and then you've got a great broadcast and all of a sudden they're like all right you know maybe this maybe there's something to this sport well when they do switch it over to espn if they haven't already uh i will say that hopefully they get ryan boyle back because that was to me far and away the thing that really made the TV product was, you know, you had somebody on there and like one of the biggest complaints I always see on, on lacrosse Twitter is people saying, you know, like, Hey, whoever's talking about this game has no clue what they're talking about. But then you get like a, a lacrosse hall of famer who can break it down to you in the most easily understandable terms possible. And you sit there and go like, I know what he's talking about, but somebody who's just watching this for the first time, this has got to be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Boyle is, is so, so good at that. Um, also, uh, Brendan Burke. Yeah. Yeah. Brent, Brendan Burke was, he's unbelievable voice for lacrosse. I know that he wasn't, I don't think he was there last year. Cause he was going to, he was in, um, he, had to cover so he, something. He, he was in Tokyo for the Olympics, right? That's yeah. where the Olympics were. Um, so, but if, if they can grab him back, that'd also be great. Cause I, you know, it's a, that's a solid, solid duo over there. Although I guess he's an NBC guy and if it goes to ESPN, I don't know whole bunch of shit, but yeah, I would definitely agree. Keep, uh, keep Ryan Boyle on the, on the payroll. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. Um, now, though, me and you or people like us want lacrosse to be in the mainstream because, you know, we love the sport and for us, it's, it's always an exciting watch, but I think what never really gets talked about is like, how do you kind of like quantify the levels of like, you know, how do you determine this is now mainstream as opposed to, you know, the quote unquote sport of the future, which is the cliche that we all would throw out about it. So like me personally, I'm of the mindset that when lacrosse gets big in like Mississippi and Alabama, like in the deep, deep South, then I know for sure it's, it's starting to hit like mainstream levels and it's getting pushed into, you know, the, the national lexicon for you. Like, where would you kind of say, is it like, you know, something in terms of broadcasting numbers or, you know, something else that I'm not thinking of at the moment that really will for you be the signal of like, all right, we're now reaching like top tier level for not NFL level because it's the NFL, the NFL, but mainstream top tier for the, for the sport. Yeah. I'd say that over the years, it's kind of changed for me a little bit. Like it, like if you would have asked me this question, like a few years ago, like I would, I would tell you that I want like lacrosse to go mainstream just so I could like prove all the haters wrong. Like, yeah, like this sport's great. And you guys have been missing out and, and this and that at this point, like I'm, I'm done fighting that fight. I like, I just want lacrosse to become mainstream so that these guys can get paid. Um, right. Like, th- like these guys are, are unbelievable athletes. They put so much into, you know, their, uh, you know, their training and like, it just sucks. Like when you have these unbelievable lacrosse players, like 
you know, a guy like Pat Spencer from Loyola, um, or, you know, even a guy like, uh, you know, Ben Reeves from Yale, who is playing pro lacrosse, but he's also now granted he's, he's like being like a doctor. So like, I don't want to say like, let's get less doctors in the world and more pro lacrosse players. Like that's, it's pretty, it's a pretty solid profession, (laughs) but guys like Pat Spencer, who one of the greatest college lacrosse players of all time, And, you know, instead of going off to play pro lacrosse, he says, you know what, I think I have probably a better career opportunity to go play, you know, just pro basketball overseas. And he was playing in like Turkey. Now he's playing in the G League. Um, Now, that's another one, too, where it's like he just like really loved basketball and he wanted to be a basketball player. But like it would just be great for these guys to, you know, and for kids growing up to look at lacrosse and be like, I love this sport. I can make a legitimate living out of this sport. Like I won't need to work a, a job during the week and then show up to practice on Friday, play on Saturday, fly out on Sunday, go back to my regular job on Monday. So like lacrosse will be mainstream for me when guys can just be lacrosse players as their profession. All right. Well, that I, I'm definitely on board with because I also want them to get paid. While you were saying that, I've been internally debating whether I was going to bring this up to you or not. Um, but despite the fact that you and I are talking for the first time, I have an issue with you and I need to bring it up. Can you leave Archers fans alone, please? Cause I am an Archers fan. Do I, do, do I target Archers fans? If you don't target Archers fans, you target the Archers and you come at them. And granted for last year for the, uh, the champagne celebration and everything deservedly so, but I'm an Archers fan because personally, I think they have the crispiest jerseys in the game. And also I am a Scott Ratliff stand among stands because when i was playing i wanted to be scott ratliff i was just missing that very key element called talent that kept me from doing it but he like he's far and away my favorite player and also like the one of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet so i'm not gonna lie when you talk crap about the archers it feels a little personal I, I actually I thought that I was I was pretty riding pretty heavily for the archers at least early in the season last year um like they're, they're a group of guys that I really like. Like I, I love Grant. Uh, I know that like some people have, have their thoughts on Grant. I love Will Manny. I, I love like the little wave celebrations. Marcus is a, a absolute uh, weapon out there. So I feel like I've, I've been pretty fair for the archers, although they do do that classic thing. And maybe it's because they have, you know, a Philly head coach and they've got a, a Philly uh, attackman and grand event where, you know, they, they just want to cause pain and suffering for their fan base. I think that that's just a classic Philly thing to do. Um, but yeah, I, I will say that that has been the, the hardest part for me so far is like, I haven't really found uh, a fan base, like a, a, a team to really attach myself to in the PLL. So uh, it's got its pros, but it's also has, has its drawbacks. The pros are, I can just like let it fly on any team I want. Cause I don't really care. Um, drawbacks. I, I would like to become a fan of a specific team um, just having so far. So if I'm giving it to the archers, I'm giving it to every team at some point. Well, fair enough. Although I will also admit, and this, I don't understand how anybody could not have a love affair with the Andy towers, but it seems like anytime that people talk about the chaos, it's a love affair for like how ridiculous that they can be. And some people get exhausted of it, but it still comes with like that level of respect of like, these guys are just out there. Like he's this big, like burly man that you would not expect to be a lacrosse coach. Like I personally would have thought he'd be like an offensive or defensive line coach, but 
you know, whenever, whenever anyone talks about him, like they can't help but love the guy, except for if you're an American who wants to play for the chaos, because it doesn't seem like that's going to be an option for you. Yeah. I mean, Andy Towers seems like a, like a guy who anybody would love to play for, but if like you're playing against him, you're like, dude, like shut the hell up. Like you psychopath. So I, I can see it both ways. Like he's, he's got a, a polarizing personality, um, which, you know, I, th- I think is, I think is great for the league though, to have a coach like that. Cause like, I don't really think that there's really anybody out there who has an opinion one way or another about Andy Copeland. So I think having a guy like Andy towers who can kind of be that, I don't even know like who else to really equate them to in, in pro sports. Like, I guess. I, I, I mean, I get the chair throwing. Yeah. I, I guess like that, that would be a thing. Um, I'm trying to think like, I guess like Vrabel's kind of crazy like that, but. I could see him maybe it, as like Frank Martin. I don't know, but he, he's he's a, he's a crazy individual, and I think that that really works for the makeup of that team. And I think that um, you know, if he was on the sideline, if I was on the sideline across from him or next to him, I'd I'd be like, shut up. Um, so I, <laughs> you know, can see it both ways. So I asked Dukes this, and it may not be the exact same question, but at least a variation of it. The PLL brought in the MLL. It was kind of something that was, in my opinion, bound to happen no matter what. Obviously, we've now got the backlog of teams that, you know, you could bring into the league as your next option of like, hey, this was a former MLL team. Let's bring them in like we did with the Cannons. So who do you think is like, or what team do you think is going to be the most likely next expansion team if it were going to be an MLL former team? First, like, do you think that's the most, like, the one that you want the most? The one that I would want the most would be the barrage, just because I'm a Philly guy. Um, I feel like the next one that you have to is, I mean, do you, do you go Outlaws or do you go Lizards or or you go Bayhawks? I think. See, I I, I I think I think you have to stick with the originals for uh, for a while. So I think you you go Bayhawks or Lizards. Um, actually, you know what? I'm gonna go off the board here. Give me back the New Jersey Pride. They <laughs> had unbelievable uniforms. That was um, that was one of my f- favorite looking teams. Um, yeah, I, oh my god, early day New Jersey Pride. Ky- Kyle Harrison, New Jersey Pride, <sighs> mint. So if I were to pick like what I want, it's either going to be Bayhawks because local or Blaze because they, to me, they had some of the best jerseys when they were around. Plus Scott uh, Ratliff. I was, yeah. I was never really a fan of. I, I have respect for teams that even if the jerseys don't turn out perfect, I have respect for teams that go for it. Yeah. You know what it is? Like I, I, I know that it's like not, it, it's a different um, it's not like they threw Z on the, on the end of a name because instead of an S and like, yeah. like Z is like an actual letter in the word blaze. But I just like have such PTSD about lacrosse teams throwing Z in the, the letter Z in their name that I think I just like there, I just subconsciously hate everything about it. Like, like if they were like the stars, but instead of S T A R S, they were S T A R Z. Like there were just so many of those teams um, in club lacrosse from like 2005 to whenever like people stopped talking about Combro Chill that I I just 
if, if there's a Z in the name, I'm not about it. Um, so note to but, self, don't tell you the local club team in my area is the Zingos. Got it. Okay, but Zing, Zingos, again, tough word. Um, but as long <laughs> as, but is, is it a Z at the, I think my thing is a Z at the end. No, it's an it, S. It, okay, that's, it's not great, but it's not terrible either. What's terrible and should never, ever make a return again. And it wasn't just a cross. It was, it was something that happened across i think it was just a cultural thing um but the the pluralization with a with a z just makes me makes me want to die yeah no I, and that's i think for you z's are the same thing for me where like i get annoyed with every team that has to have a black jersey you know it's, if it's not a part of like your normal color scheme then don't force it, it like that it, not necessarily a problem for lacrosse because it hasn't really come into that yet but like a lot of basketball teams, a lot of football teams, like I am unfortunately a commanders fan and I can't stand the fact that when they came out with their new jerseys that they had a black one over a gold one because the gold has always been a part of their color scheme. The black one just feels forced. I, I, would, agree, I would agree with that. So I will also say, uh, cause I mentioned the blaze, the, the one team that I think actually makes the most sense is the outlaws because it's, it's a barnstorming type of league. And, you know, outlaws are known for traveling, going around. You kind of have, like, just, like, the storytelling of a franchise that could come with it, as opposed to, like, Bayhawks, which is a very regional mascot. And Lizards, I mean, to me, it makes sense to, to add it for the his, historical sense. I was just never really big on the mascot to begin with. So. Me either. And, it like, it is tough to, like, the the color scheme is is it's just too monster energy. So um, yeah, I I think the outlaws would be a good one. Though my personal preference would and will for always be the barrage. <laughs> so especially like color scheme stuff because I know also on your podcast you guys talk about you know when the boys are coming out looking crispy and everything. What to you would be your perfect design for a jersey? Like when you see that and you're like, all right, I've got no flaws to to say about this uh like senior year mikey pal syracuse I, I i think would be like my the the epitome of of perfect um at the end of the day like i i think i always love a mismatched jersey uh short look but it okay. has to but but you have to sandwich the jersey with the helmet so like whatever short color you're wearing has to match the the helmet color so like let, let's just for the sake of art like let's just go black and white not even not even that good but like if, if you're going white shorts black jersey with a white helmet that looks infinitely better in my opinion than if you were to go like black shorts yeah black shorts white jersey white helmet like i i think if you if you sandwich that that's Okay. Now jumping back to hockey, how do you feel about the, the, like the design with that and color schemes when it comes to the nameplates on the flyers? I'm not trying to have you talk about a franchise that you hate right now, but I have never understood the white like rectangle nameplate on there. Cause I think it just, it, it does not look clean at all. So how do you feel about it? It like, that's just one of those things where like you grow up like looking back at pictures of Bob Clark winning the Stanley cup and that's what it looks like. Back. So like, it, it's one of those things where it just feels like normal to you, but I can see 
from the outside looking in why you'd be like that looks like hideous like clean it up because it's it's like not very it's usually not cropped that great like i feel like a lot of guys have a little too much space on either side um of that nameplate um yeah i mean but the only thing is i just don't know i don't know on the orange jerseys if just the like you'd, you'd have to go black lettering with like a white outline but just maybe not not the full block yeah i, th- I think if the if it were white trim i think that would be a lot better just it it looks it almost looks like you know like a nameplate on a like a inmate's uh jail cell uniform or something to me yeah I'm, I'm assuming that it was just like way easier to do to stitch the name onto the nameplate and then throw it on the jersey back in the 70s when the flyers were winning the cup and like now they're just doing it to pay homage but um i mean at, at this point i i they they got to change everything up from for the organization so change the jerseys while you're at it fair enough now i'm gonna jump off of what we've been talking about and go a completely different direction just because i feel like if we don't talk about this it's going to be a big disservice to the co- uh the content that you do for barstool what's your favorite piece of meat to cook because you are huge for doing you know, blogs about it, videos about it, how to make sure you get like the perfect brisket and stuff like that. So what, what's going to be your go-to if you could only pick one thing to cook for the rest of your life? If, if I could, well, that's a tough question. If, if I could only do one thing for the rest of my life, like I would probably do like a pork butt just because it's so easy. Okay. Um, but my favorite to cook is, is going to be brisket. Um, and mostly like, that's like the one, you know, smoking ribs is great. It's nice and easy. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's not that difficult to mess up ribs, uh, pork, butt. it's nearly impossible to mess up pork, butt. um, but brisket, there's just something about it that like, like you can, you can smoke a couple thousand briskets and you're still not going to get it perfect. So like, there's like, there's always, you're always chasing a better brisket. Um, and that's, that's why I I'd probably go with that. It's just like a huge time commitment. If I can only smoke one piece of meat for the rest of my life, like spending 14, 15 hours on a brisket every time would be a little tiresome. Um, but you, there's, there's more to like understand and craft about that. So if you're like looking around at like what other people are doing for cooking stuff, is there anything that you ever see where it's just like an automatic, like, all right, I'm not paying attention to this person anymore. They clearly have no clue what they're doing. Is there anything that kind of like just tips you off to that sort of like amateurism to it? Uh, I mean, like the one thing about barbecue that I always try to do is just keep like an, uh, an open mind to it. So like, there's not one way to do anything. Um, I will say like, especially for like brisket, if people aren't like, you know, if, if they're not really trimming the brisket before they, you know, season and throw it on the pit, if like, if they're just throwing like a huge hunk of meat on there, like I'm like, all right, you, this, this probably isn't going to turn out well. Um, and I, I would say like, if, if I'm watching a video and someone's, um, you know, especially with like ribs, there's a, there, there's a little membrane on the back of the ribs and you can either, you know, pull that membrane off before you smoke them, or you can leave it on whatever. Um, I'm of the belief that you could do either way, but if I hear someone talking about like, and, and, and you have to tear off the membrane. And if you're not tearing off the membrane, then it's not real. But like, if, if they're like so definitive about what they're doing and how that's like the best and only way to do it, then I'm like, okay, then 
you clearly don't know that you could just do it another way and it could turn out just as good. So uh, people who are overconfident about like their way being the one and true only way. And then also like if you're just not really taking care of the meat beforehand and trimming it so that you have a better product at the end. And I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe you should watch some more videos before you make some of your own. So this, this question is purposely meant to kind of put you in a hard spot because I think that based on what you've been talking about, this, this will put you in a real bind trying to make the decision. And again, it's another, if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life, you could uh, spend the rest of your life allowed to pay attention to Philly sports and never cook another thing of barbecue ever again or vice versa you can cook barbecue for the rest of your life but you can't pay attention to philly sports which one are you choosing again the, you asked me this at the wrong time right now <laughs> this is barbecue without a doubt like see you later philly sports like what i would do to go back to 30 years and like 30 years and maybe like eight months ago and just stop my parents from having me and like, or, or at least like stop my parents from having me born in Philly to where I was born in this prison of having to deal with these dumbass teams. Um, no, I'd be I, a I DC just, fan. <laughs> yeah. That would also be terrible. I, at, at least, I, at least with Philly teams, I'll admit, at least you guys are relevant for us. We just look at our, our teams and I look at, especially like the commanders. I'm like, can, can a black hole just open up and swallow you, please? I don't want you to exist anymore. Now, again, if you asked me this in 2010, like, you know, the, the, um, you know, the Phillies were just a couple years removed from a world series. The flyers were in the Stanley cup final, the Sixers were whatever. And, and, um, you know, and the Eagles were, you know, they weren't winning a super bowl yet, but they were knocking on the doorstep a couple times. Like then, then we'd be in a tough, tough spot. Um, with this question, but no, like the, like cooking barbecue, it's like so nice. It's so relaxing. Uh, you just sit out there overnight. You've got your fire. Maybe you pour yourself a drink, listen to some music, cook up some delicious meat. Like there's nothing about that that brings anything besides joy to my life. And anytime I turn on a Philly sports game, um, besides, the fact that the Sixers are never going to lose another game now that they have James Harden. Um, I was going to ask, James Harden isn't enough to bring you back? Not, not quite yet, um, but we'll see because they're they're looking great so far. But you turn on a Philly sports game and it's just pain and misery, so barbecue 100 times out of 100. Well, fair enough, and I will wrap it up on this. We've talked a little bit of pro lacrosse. we talked a little bit of college. we talked hockey and everything else, but – for me, where I know you from is lacrosse. I'll have my last question be a lacrosse one. What's the next like power five school that you really want to see at a lacrosse program on the men's side? Because there's a good chance they already have a women's one. But on the men's side, like where do you real like what's going to get your juices flowing the most for the next big name school to have have lacrosse? Uh, yeah, I'm like obviously the the natural answer here would be like a, like an sec team. Um, but I just know because of title nine, like it's, it's going to be impossible to, to bring in a team there. Um, so I don't know, I guess like just, just staying in the, in the pac 12, like with uh, Utah coming in, like another pac 12 school would be awesome. Like, I, I think like, just go to like Arizona state and you'll get every single recruit that you would ever want to have. Like they would, they would win a national shit. They would announce that they have a, a D one program 
and they would win the national championship two years later. Fair enough. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there. Jordy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. It was a lot of fun for me. I hope it was the same for you. And uh, hopefully down the road, we can connect again sometime. Yep. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you.